Hey everyone, it's Karen G from Tower Hills Communications team. Thanks for listening into our weekly podcast. I'm here with my good friend, Marisa from our production team. Hey, thanks Karen. We are in the middle of our November sermon series and today involves one of the most famous stories of the Bible, the prodigal son. So many books have been written about that story through the years. There's even classic artists like Rembrandt and other well-known famous artists that have portrayed this one famous parable. Not to mention thousands of Bible studies over the years. And that's because this story is such a vivid portrayal of not only our relationship with God, but our heart's reaction when it comes to others. You know, what resonates most with me, Marisa, about that story is the older brother's reaction. So today, Pastor Jason's going to tell us how to break out of that older brother mentality through the power of a grateful heart. So let's listen in right now. Well, good morning, Tower Hill. What a blessing to be here to worship God together today. Thanks for joining us for our online service. If you're new, if this is the first time that you've ever joined us for worship, a very special welcome to you. I pray that you feel the welcome vibes coming through on your screen. And this is just crazy, right? This is this whole new way of doing worship together. At least it is for us. But I hope that in this service, you will find yourself participating in the prayers singing the songs, even if you're doing it quietly in your head, and really focusing on that time of prayer because this is meant to be a time of engagement. It's very easy for something on a screen to be something very passive that we watch or let just kind of wash over us like cable TV. This isn't that. This is an opportunity for us to actually, in spirit, when we can't be here in person, in spirit, to worship God together. So welcome to our worship services. If you want to know about other things going on in the life of the church, just check out our website, towerhillchurch.org, and you get all the news and notes of everything going on in the life of the church. Well, we are now, gosh, we're in the back half of our sermon series for November. I can't believe it's already November 15th. It's like, man, it goes so quickly, doesn't it? And we're doing this whole series on gratitude. And as we've been saying for the last couple of weeks, that I know that this is the time of year that the pastors are always busting out the gratitude sermons or the Thanksgiving sermons, but I think we all need to hear it, especially after this year that we've been through. It would be very, very easy for us to allow our ingratitude to get in the way of the blessings that God wants for us. So as we're going into this series, last week we talked a little bit about the fact that when my pain stacks up, my gratitude falls down. That's just kind of how it works, right? The more pain that I have in my life, the more things that are kind of obstacles that I'm trying to navigate, when those things increase, my gratitude tends to decrease because I don't want those things in my life. And I'd be a lot more thankful, Lord, if you just remove those things from my life. It's something that naturally occurs, but if we don't watch it, it can become this huge, well, wall that we construct, a wall of ingratitude based upon whatever's going on in my circumstances, and it gets in between me and God. It's a wall of my own making that gets in the way of what God wants for me. And then I can't see gratitude. I can only see ingratitude based on the pain or the struggle that I'm experiencing in my life. But praise be to God, Jesus is in the wrecking business. He's going to wreck those walls that you build for yourself. He's going to demolish those things that are getting in the way of your relationship with him, if you let him. 
And that's the real wonderful news of the gospel is that he does. Time and time again, he knocks those walls down, whatever those walls may be, those walls around our hearts so that we could be in relationship with him. And all of this, of course, is unlocked by gratitude. And again, I think we Christians especially have a gratitude problem. We forget why we ought to live with such gratitude. Because we see everything going on around us and we get super distracted. And we start feeling like, well, maybe I don't have everything that I need or I don't have everything that I want. Or where is God in all of this? And what happens is a gratitude problem, as we've been saying, often leads to an entitlement problem. And then it becomes, no, 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 not only am I not grateful, I think I deserve something more. God should give me what I deserve, in fact. That would be a really scary thing to ask God for. I would never ask for that in prayer. What I deserve as someone who is broken by sin is death and lifelong distance between myself and God. Thank God he doesn't give me what I deserve. He gives me what he's given me through faith, and that is life and that everlasting. There's a a wonderful scripture I'm going to share with you today. It's probably very familiar to you. It's a very famous one, and it's called The Parable of the Prodigal Son, which many of you know this very well. I wish they would rename it, though, to The Parable of the Awesome Dad and the Two Idiot Kids. I don't know. I, I don't know what translation that would be, but I think it would be a lot, a lot more fitting. So let's get into it. We're going to talk about how we're going to see this with the gratitude and the walls of ingratitude and what can happen to us, even those of us who say that we believe in the Father, and why we need to watch out. And what we need to be looking for. Let's get into it now. This is from the Gospel of Luke. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the, inher- of the estate. So he divided his property between them. What's that mean? Basically, Dad, I know that when you die, I get half. Let's pretend you're dead now. And just give me my half. Because I want to spend it up. Not the nicest thing ever. I don't know whose dad would say yes to that. But apparently, again, awesome dad, two idiot kids. He does it, and they divide it between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Now, you may not be an expert on Jewish culture, but what do you know about how Jewish culture sees pork? Right. No good. They were seen as the dirtiest of the animals, right? Pigs are are filthy. They're unclean. And so then for this Jewish young man to be so desperate that he's going to go work at feeding the pigs, it's like you can't get any lower. Or maybe you can. Next verse. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. He longed to fill his stomach. He was willing to settle for pig food. Dirty and disgusting as it was for him culturally, for him just physically, for any of us. Because he was that desperate. Next verse. When he came to his senses, he said... How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, 
I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. You ever been there? You ever mess up in your life so badly that you just didn't know where to go? You didn't know where to turn. You felt like all your options were gone and you knew it was your fault. I think all of us at some point, we can identify with the younger son, how we've squandered what we've been given by God or by people in our lives on living according to what we want and maybe not, not what's best for us or the smartest or something that we know God wants to give us. I feel like this, everybody in this parable, we can, uh, we can really identify with that younger son. Like, yep, I've been there. And that is the gospel of grace is that even while I was in that state, while I was a, still a sinner, Jesus died for me. I wonder how many times in my life I've settled for this, you know? I mean, has it ever gotten this bad where, like, you've, you've kind of settled for pig food? What do I mean? Well, you settled for something that's not worth settling for. Something that's nowhere near what God has given you. It's okay, we all have. But God doesn't want to leave us there. You might be in a situation like that right now where you're feeling like, you know what, Pastor, I know I'm in this situation in my life or I'm in this circumstance in my life and I feel like I've really blown it. I'm far away from God and I shouldn't be. I've squandered the gifts he's given me. Well, you're in luck because the Father still has a plan to bring you home. More on that in a minute. So here's what he did. He got up. And went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. You know, I wonder what was going through his head when he knew he was going to meet his father. Like, I'm sure he was rehearsing that speech over and over again. Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. Make me one of your hired servants. But no, while he was still a long way off, before he even had a chance maybe even to really recognize his dad on the road, his dad sees him and runs toward him, not with the anger, or not I told you so, or not what are you doing back here, but with complete love and a welcome embrace. And he kissed him. Then, The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. The ring would have been like the family ring as a symbol of saying, You're back. You're back in your rightful place as part of this family. Not only are you a son, you are a rightful heir still to this family. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. I mean, we don't, we sort of joke about that nowadays, but it was a thing, the fatted calf. And this was a big celebration and something that you would do very sparingly. It was very expensive. But listen, the father was so excited, he couldn't wait to put his resources into a celebration because his son was home. This is exactly what he says next. For this son of mine was dead. 
and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Does this sound familiar? It should. Remember our story of Zacchaeus last week? We see some of the same language from Luke 19. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And in fact, this story is the third of a trilogy of parables Jesus teaches that have the same message. The the rejoicing over finding the lost thing, a lost coin, a lost sheep, or the lost son. And the reason is because Jesus is telling us what the Father's heart is all about. His Father's heart is what? For the Son of Man to come and to seek and to save the lost. That's why the Father had to celebrate. Of course, we're meant to identify with the Father as Father God, that Father God celebrates when lost, wayward children come home. He's not waiting to punish them, which I know a lot of people think. A lot of people think, you know, I'm far from God, and if I come back, oh man, he's going to let me have it. That's not what Jesus says the Father's like. He says what the Father cares about more than anything. His beating heart is what? To seek out and save the lost. This painting by Rembrandt of the prodigal son. A lot of wonderful art came from this parable over the, gosh, last 2,000 years. And I, I love the, first of all, the posture of humility, right, of the younger son and the father there embracing But you also notice somebody else in that picture, don't you? Somebody that we kind of forgot on our way to this point in the story, and that is the elder son standing over to the side there, if you can see. See, if this story had just ended right here, it would have been a nice, well, that was nice, right? That was was a nice ending to a sad story. It avoided tragedy. There was redemption. It kind of had, you know, uh, what's that old joke? I laughed, I cried. It became a part of me from the old film reviewers, right? It, had, it was a feel-good. But the story doesn't end there because now the story pivots and addresses the elder brother. Next verse. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The role of the older brother in this society where this took place in Jesus' time was to be the one who's being groomed for leadership, to take over the family business. It would have been a huge dishonor to refuse to go into a celebration that his father was holding. I mean, I mean that, that, that's a bad grievance. And yet, what does the father do? The father doesn't even get angry at him. He goes out and does what? He pleads with him. 
And the elder son is just dripping with anger and frustration and entitlement. Why are you wasting all this on that kid? He already took you for half of what you're worth. And now you're going to throw a party and make it worse? You're doubling down on your son's foolishness and stupidity? For him, it was all about what he was not getting. Every little piece that was given away affected the bottom line of the elder son's inheritance. He didn't care about his younger brother. He just cared about what it meant for him. I know it's hard, but I think a lot of us too, we could probably, if we're honest with ourselves, identify with the elder son. The older son dwelled on his brother's sin and his own entitlement, but the father dwelled on forgiveness. Isn't that something? I've been around a lot of churches, and I have to say, there are a lot of younger sons and there's a lot of elder sons. There are people who come in desperate I need Jesus to save me because I am a hot mess. I, I, I need help. I need fixing. I need salvation. I know how bad I am, and I'm desperate, and I need the Lord. And then there are others who say, yeah, you're right. You do need the Lord. You better, you better shape up. You better fix that wrecked life of yours if you have any hope of redemption. Before you show yourself around here, you better get yourself straight. You better get yourself some new clothes. You better clean yourself up if you're going to hope to be in the presence of Almighty God. Why? Because I'm on the moral high ground, and I'm in the presence of God, so we can't let you riffraff get the inheritance that we have. It wouldn't be what? Fair. As if God ever gave us what we deserve. Let's look at it this way. Let's ask this question. What do you think it means to be lost? We say that, right? Lost and found. What do we mean? Well, let's nail down a definition here because it's not just some kind of nebulous idea or some philosophical statement. When it comes to what the scripture says, being lost is a condition of the human spirit that simply means this, to be apart from God because of sin. That's what it means to be lost according to scripture. So when Jesus is telling these stories of lost things, he's telling about those who are apart from God because of sin. And what's interesting in this story is we see both the younger son and the elder son, they had their own version of being lost. So with the younger son, his willfulness led to his immorality, which of course, he was apart from the father because of it. But the elder son, while standing under the pretense of morality, was still doing, was still not honoring the father. He was sinning even though he was standing under the, the pretense of morality. Both didn't care about what the father wanted. Both sons are equally lost. And of course, in Jesus' day, he was talking to the religious leaders of his day, the Jewish religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees the elder brothers, and said, no, 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 not, not just these heathens aren't the ones who are just lost. These sinners aren't the ones who are just lost. They are. But so are you if you're behaving like the elder son. 
The bottom line was this. Both sons cared more about the father's wealth than the father's heart. They cared about what the father can give them more than what the father wanted for them. And I've seen a version of Christianity that's like this. And I'll be honest with you, it's no Christianity at all. It's not what Jesus teaches. It's not what he says. It's not what he stands for. It doesn't reflect the Father's heart. The Father's heart is what? To seek and save the lost. So then, what does it mean to be found? When I just think about my own story, it's, it's that moment where I put my faith in Jesus and I'm reconciled. I'm back together with God. That relationship that was broken by sin is now brought back together by the forgiveness that happens on the cross. And I'm a new creation in him. I am profoundly found. I am found in every way I can be. I I find myself. God has found me. I found God. Being found is in that relationship with God face to face. That Jesus creates. So if one son is lost and one son, or if both sons are lost but only one son is found, what's the difference? What's the difference? Repentance. Repentance is the difference. And repentance takes gratitude. You have to be thankful for what the Father has done for you, for you to realize the error of your ways. You have to be so, have so much gratitude in your heart for Jesus Christ. You wanna say, I'm gonna lay all that other stuff behind, all that stuff that has separated me from you, whether it's immorality or morality. Because here's the thing about morality, we're never good enough. It doesn't mean we shouldn't have morals. That's not what I'm saying. But it's saying that if you think your morals equals your salvation, well, that's elder son thinking. We can never be good enough. We need his forgiveness always. Repentance comes from gratitude. And then what happens? Your faith makes you well. And this is what we see in the younger son. And, and this is such the great news, right? We saw this last week with Zacchaeus. No matter how far away from God you've been, gratitude can transform your life. Gratitude leads to repentance. Repentance leads to forgiveness. Forgiveness leads you back to God. There's a reason why the prodigal son speaks to us on so many levels. We know God's heart. And we know, quite painfully, our heart. So here's my question for you this morning, for you to think about. Maybe you want to think about it this week. Maybe you want to be intentional about it and write down the question and come back to it maybe a couple days this week as you're waking up and lift your prayers to God. And that's this. Which do you need to repent from, being the younger son or the elder son? If I'm honest, I'd say probably a little bit of both. But you see, until we can get to the place of being grateful for the Father's love and grace and mercy and forgiveness, we're not gonna be driven to repent. 
Why? Because ingratitude will slow us down. And here's the thing. When we repent, our faith makes us well. And it makes us well when we share the Father's heart. What happens is, is we start to care about what God cares about. We want to seek and save the lost too. Because we want, to, we want what our Heavenly Father wants. It's not just about what we think our Heavenly Father is going to give us. It's about how we can honor Him with the way we're living our lives. Because remember, what's the alternative? Glass half empty? It's hard. It's hard to give thanks when your cup feels half empty. But when you see your cup is overflowing, as you should, you say, because of Jesus, I have everything I ever needed and more. And so, friends, let's start today with two words to God. Thank you. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. We hope that this message blesses you and we hope that you feel free to share it with someone that you know so that they'll feel blessed too.